0: Hi, and welcome to In Search of Insight, Nootropics Depot's monthly podcast. I'm your podcast host, Erica, and sitting next to me is our product specialist at Nootropics Depot, Emil. Hey, everyone. Today, Emil and I are going to be talking about a legendary botanical, something that you might have tried as a
1: candy in the past, which is licorice root. And we've got some to show you on this episode, too, which is kind of unique because we oftentimes don't have the raw botanicals on hand. But licorice is so popular in the netherlands that you can just walk into a pharmacy and buy licorice roots so this is what it looks like and this is what the whole episode will be about is these they look like twigs Mm -hmm. but the funny thing is so the glycerisia glabra i'm probably not pronouncing that correctly it's a really difficult latin name for the botanical but it's in the the bean family the fabacea family of plants and it it grows above ground quite tall really big bushy and leafy but the really important part is these roots that grow underneath the ground and licorice can produce really big roots so up to four meters deep into the ground so it can take quite a bit of effort to actually dig them up so these are quite small roots Mm -hmm. chopped up into little pieces and this is not how it looks like fresh i don't know how close i can get this to the camera by the way but this is what it looks like and and they would be much longer but they get chopped up and they get dried in the sun and then you have this and probably in the netherlands is maybe the only country where we chew on this as a candy and if you start chewing on it it takes a little while.
0: Mm-hmm. It starts to soften up.
1: It starts to soften up and then it gets intensely sweet. Mm-hmm. But there's no sugar in here. This is just pure dried licorice root. And there's a compound in here called glyceric acid, which is about 50 times sweeter than sugar. So it's kind of a non-calorie sweetener. However, glyceric acid also has some negative effects on cardiovascular function. Mm. And this is one of the reasons why licorice extracts have always intrigued us, but it's always been difficult for us because we don't want to just come out with a full-spectrum licorice extract, no matter how interesting that may be, because chronic use of high doses of licorice that has glyceric acid in there can have a negative effect on blood pressure. And... If you look at candies in the Netherlands that have licorice root in there you actually see warnings sometimes so I, I found a product that has this so this product uh, if you look at the back right underneath the ingredients so the ingredients for this is just um, licorice root extract and then Later on, it says, bevat which means it contains licorice root. Mensen met een hoge bloeddruk dienen overmatige gebruik te vermijden, which means people with existing high blood pressure should not use high amounts of this because it could make your high blood pressure worse. Mm. So that's one of the reasons why we started looking at isoliquidogenin. Which brings us to isoliquidogenin because we always try and take the compound that we're going to talk about on this podcast. Yes.
0: We're going to take these beautiful little yellow isoliquidogenin tablets, and you may have a little idea of the effects of isoliquidogenin if you've seen our now very popular video on YouTube. It was really fun to film that video, and while we were filming this video about the mystical, wonderful effects of isoliquidigenin, Emil took quite a few of the isoliquidogenin tablets, Mm -hmm. and he was also chewing on a real licorice stick as well. So. All the acting that you see there is really inspired by the the feeling, the experience of taking the supplement. So we're going to take some of the isoliquid We're going to tell you how it feels about what our experience is like on the podcast itself. And check in throughout to see how the effects might be changing over time. Um, Another thing we're going to do is we're going to show you some traditional candies and talk about some of the traditional uses of licorice root in other cultures in the past as well as currently. And of course, we're going to get really deep into all of the science behind the isoliquitigenin extract that we have. So let's start by putting our licorice sticks aside and taking some isoliquitigenin. I already feel a boost. I already feel that the sweetness and the stimulation of the licorice root has started to kick in, even from chewing for just a couple of minutes. How about you?
1: Well, and actually we did a, a short take before this, but then yeah. we realized our lighting wasn't completely correct. So we've chewed a little bit of that stick a yeah. couple of minutes ago mm-hmm. before we reset the lighting. And now this licorice stick on top of it, I do feel kind of an effect. And when we were filming the isoliquitigenin video, uh, I, you can see me chewing on a licorice stick the whole time, basically, and that meant I consumed a lot of just full-spectrum licorice, and it definitely had a bit of a stimulating, calming, mood-boosting effect. Not as strong as Isoliquiritigenin, mm-hmm. but there's something there. So it's it's a really interesting botanical. But without further ado, let's try some of this, and I think we should make a dosage. What do you think?
0: Let's do it. Let's mega so, dose it. What would a mega dose be in this case?
1: So, a mega dose, we're still going to keep it pretty safe. I don't want to take something completely crazy. But, like we talked about on the Joe Cohen podcast, sometimes if you take higher doses of something, new effects will pop up. Effects that maybe if you take it continuously, you might actually notice, but not in the acute. But if you take a larger dose, you might notice some interesting effects that you wouldn't with a smaller dose. So, I mm-hmm. think. For this podcast episode to really get an idea of what it's doing, we'll take four tablets. Four okay. tablets will take us to 100 milligrams of tigenin, Uh And the regular dose is 25 milligrams. Now, there's a couple of ways you can consume this isoliquitigenin. And one of the reasons why it's in a tablet that dissolves in your mouth is so that you can place it underneath your tongue. So here, one... Two, three, four. And I'll take the same. So we can do one of two things with this. We can either take all four and let them dissolve in our mouth Mm -hmm. sublingually. Mm -hmm. Or we can let two dissolve sublingually and then swallow the other two. That way we get some oral effects kicking in later and some quicker effects kicking in now. Mm -hmm. Or... And this might be the best way to do it so we're not sitting with a mouthful of tablets for too long. We kind of just chew these up, Mm -hmm. swish them around our mouth, which should really give a nice coating everywhere and underneath our tongue. And that should lead to quite a bit of both buccal through the the cheek tissue and sublingual absorption. And then we just swallow it. We, We don't drink water for a little while because then it stays in your mouth. What strategy would you like to go for? I
0: think the chewing strategy sounds chewing? the most exciting yeah. to me. Okay. Okay.
1: Because these are really hard and they actually take a really long time to dissolve, they which do. is nice. Mm-hmm. You can kind of just take it and park it, but it's going to be really hard to talk yeah. and and keep it all together and not have something fall out. Yes. So let's okay. go for the chewing. Okay, great. And, and before we get into it, I do want to show, I don't know how...
0: You can get pretty close. Pretty close? Yeah.
1: So see how it's bright yellow? That bright yellow is from the isoliquid And if you look at these licorice roots, you can see that they're kind of yellow on the inside too. And it's because a lot of the compounds that are in licorice root, like isoliquid are bright yellow. Mm. So it's kind of interesting that you can visually see it. Uh, And I do think maybe that certain... And it's kind of hidden, maybe if I... Yeah, if you kind of wet it. It, it gets a little bit more yellow yellow. Um but yeah that that's isoliquitogenin. It's it's a yellow compound. Okay, so let's uh take all of these. And these don't taste like licorice, right? No. Like the sweetness is very different. There is a sweetener in there mm-hmm. to make it taste nice. Mm-hmm. But it's a very different taste experience than the licorice itself, which is how would you describe the taste? Kind mm. of sweet, generic herbal in a sense.
0: The liquor's root itself. Mm-hmm. Mm. I would describe it as sweet, slightly hollow. Um, maybe there's a the hint of, of a kind of terpene or turpinous spice to it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It also reminds me of chicory root. It reminds me of some other vegetables or botanicals that have a natural sweetness to them that are used as sweeteners, um, but that are not sugar. It mm. has that slightly hollow sweetness to it, but it's really pleasant actually. Um, the longer that I chew on it, the spicier it gets. That's what mm. I noticed.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you obviously get to the center of it a little bit more, mm-hmm. and then more of those flavor compounds come out. But it, yeah. it's, an, it's a really interesting flavor, but it wasn't really utilized for it, its flavor very often. Mm. And that's, I think, if we're ready for it, we can start jumping into the history of licorice root.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot to share.
1: Yeah. So if you look at licorice root, you see potentially even the Egyptians were using it. Um, A lot of Southeast Asian cultures were using it. Specifically, traditional Chinese practices use a lot of licorice root. And that's kind of what got us interested in licorice in the first place, because whenever you read through traditional Chinese medicine formulations, you oftentimes see licorice root in there as either the the main herb or one of the supporting herbs. You see it combined oftentimes with things like polygala, panax ginseng, poria mushroom, all of these botanicals which are great at boosting mood and cognition and relaxation so that's really what got us interested in it and also having consumed so much licorice myself i think the netherlands actually is the highest consumer of licorice in the world um some of our neighbors um like sweden norway finland they chew like they have different formulations of candies or even liqueurs where you have these like shots that you can get at bars and it's really popular here too and they contain licorice root and salmiac salt which is actually ammonium chloride we'll get to why that's important in a sec but we we utilize a lot of licorice here and it's kind of interesting because it's it's a candy but it's a candy that's associated with some beneficial health properties too Mm -hmm. Uh, for example if you have a cough or you have some mucus licorice root can actually be helpful at taking away some of that mucus thinning the mucus out and suppressing your cough a little bit so it's definitely used in in a functional way too here and Mm -hmm. i think that kind of enables our consumption of licorice because it's a candy but it's also maybe kind of healthy but it's also kind of bad for you if you eat a lot of it because of the cardiovascular effects but when you take it all together it ends up that Dutch people consume an enormous amount of licorice every year and through consuming I'm a big fan of licorice too and when I moved to the U.S. and my licorice supply was basically cut off I think the first year I barely had any licorice I started craving it like it was almost like a homesick type of thing but I specifically craved it if I wasn't feeling well like Mm. If I had a bit of a cold if i just was feeling a bit low mood or if i had a headache i got this craving for licorice and then i would eat the licorice and some of these symptoms would go away and if you look at the traditional use of it these are the kind of things that licorice is being used for it's being used for um, headaches it's being used for stomach cramps and digestion and coughs and because of that you see different extracts are being made of it so in china you would take these licorice sticks and you would chop it up and you would boil it in water and that's pretty common for a lot of traditional chinese herbs they are cut up not powderized just big chunks of it and maybe erica can do some editing magic and we can show some picture here or here (laughs) wherever is a good place to place it of what some of these traditional Chinese medicine formulations actually look like. And oftentimes it's sliced dried herbs that you then extract in water, and then you discard the herbs and you drink the tea. And that's a similar thing of how licorice is used. But then it's taken a little bit further. So you could take these licorice sticks, you dry them, you chop them up, You put them in water and you extract it in water. And you make a really strong extract of it. And then you take that water extract and you boil it down. And while you're boiling it down, the extract becomes really concentrated and black. And that's, you asked a good question the other day, why is licorice actually black? Because it's it's yellow. Yes. Uh, And it's black because when you make that water extract and you concentrate it by evaporating the water, the extract turns black. And the raw material for all licorice then is black. And interestingly, you can actually buy raw licorice extract here. And it's a really acquired taste. And you have to go all the way back to Italy in the 1700s to discover where this came from. So probably because of... Um, a lot of travel from Europe to Southeast Asia and trade routes and and exploitation of course you always have to uh, the, the, the disclaimer that some some nasty stuff happened back then. But
0: to get the botanicals from one part of the world to the other part of the world.
1: But because there was so much trade, mm-hmm. we ended up picking up licorice roots and seeing how they're being traditionally used there, making water extracts. So then back in Italy in the 1700s they started making these more higher potency extracts with water and boiling them down and then you get this black goop and if you let that black goop set it becomes hard and really sticky and i guess italians at the time had a lot of bay leaves so they would make these big blocks of this licorice water extract and to prevent those blocks from sticking to each other they would layer bay leaves in between Uh, that was a good way to prevent them sticking but also this block is absorbing some of the flavors from the bay leaf into it so then you have something called bay leaf licorice
0: which is this or lalier in this case. lalier
1: drop and another interesting thing we call uh, licorice drop here Mm -hmm. uh, d-r-o-p as you can maybe read here and I was actually kind of curious, where does this name come from? Yeah. And it comes from the fact that licorice wasn't always a candy, and it was an extract that you would get in a bottle, ah. and you would take little drops of it. Okay. So then, once it became a candy, it was called drop.
0: Whenever Emil is craving licorice, well actually whenever i go to the store and emil's not with me i always bring home bags of droppies. that's what we call it or well, that's what mm-hmm. i learned from emil because that's what he calls it so yeah. it's fun to learn the background of where all of these words and and the candy and the traditional uses come from
1: absolutely um and that traditional style of And uh, this, again, is not a candy. Now it's a candy. Yeah. But it wasn't a candy back then because it was an Italian pharmacist that was making this extract, making these blocks, and then kind of just chopping up the blocks. And then you take this chunk of basically like a resin extract and you suck on it. And that's good for making your cough go away. And it has interesting health benefits. Mm -hmm. And that's the first time I think licorice started becoming more of a refined product and because of that if you look at this even now it says real italian and if you look at the ingredients the only thing in here is licorice root extract so this is if i can open it this is basically as pure as it gets
0: well yeah it's really dark and for anyone who's wondering if red vines count as licorice, no, they no, don't. They don't <laughs> absolutely not. Red vines might be called licorice, but they're not real licorice. The real stuff is usually going to be quite dark, yes. black in color.
1: And let's taste this, and yes. you're going to notice something interesting. Okay. Mm. So how would you describe the taste?
0: Well, it's actually sour at first. I don't find it to be. Particularly... I wouldn't call it sour, by the way. But okay, well, it's quite bitter. It's bitter. Yeah. I, I taste the the bay leaf or the lalier mm-hmm. uh, right away. Um, the licorice sweetness does come through. There's definitely some saltiness as well. I find that...
1: But not a whole lot.
0: No, not a whole lot. And, and these are not salted. Um, that's mm-hmm. another element of, of, the, of the drop of the licorice that we're going to discuss a little bit later, is the inclusion of salt as well. Um,
1: Ammonium chloride. Yes.
0: Yeah. But for me, sometimes I confuse bitter with sour like some sometimes I find that unpleasant flavor in coffee like uh you know over brewed or under brewed espresso for example that line between bitter and sour can sometimes get a little bit blurry for me but I would say now I'm tasting it more it definitely has a bit of a bitterness to it um and a little bit of a hollow sweetness it's getting better over time Mm -hmm. but these are intense
1: this is really intense and this is just straight up unrefined extract water extract mm-hmm. so the licorice root is boiled in water the roots are removed from the water and then that water extract is boiled down till you get a resin and that, that resin hardens up and you you get what we just showed you mm-hmm. and it's sweet it's bitter it's mm-hmm. really intense but there's nothing in it this is this is what licorice root extract tastes like in its purest form
0: mm-hmm. i'm gonna drink some water because it's really intense in flavor yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, and and i like this flavor but this is really more of a, a more like medicinal type of flavor mm-hmm. but the one thing i was hoping you might notice is in the u.s and i think a lot of foreign countries when you think of licorice that flavor of licorice mm-hmm. is not licorice root uh, yeah it's aniseed Oh, okay. Aniseed is oftentimes added as a, a flavoring agent to make, because this isn't very pleasant, right? No. So to turn this into a candy, you add sugar, you add all sorts of stuff, and then you add some flavorings like aniseed, which is really complementary to the taste of licorice, mm. and a little bit of saltiness too. Yeah, and that complements it, and it and it dilutes what we're tasting now because this is, even for me this is intense, mm-hmm. um, but. Abroad, you often associate aniseed with licorice flavor. And I've ha- drank like licorice or um, aniseed liqueurs with Americans, and they've said, Oh, it tastes like licorice. Or mm. if you have absinthe, mm, yeah. I've also heard people comparing it to licorice. Yeah. But it doesn't taste like licorice. Yeah. It tastes like the licorice candy because it oftentimes has aniseed in it. Mm-hmm. But this is really what licorice tastes like. And you taste it in the stick too. It's yeah it's an interesting flavor and mm-hmm. it's nothing crazy
0: yeah actually it's funny that you said you hoped I would I would taste something but I think what you meant was you hoped that I wouldn't taste something exactly. or that I would notice a, the that the something, something wasn't there mm-hmm. and I didn't consider it when I was first tasting it but now I realize there's a little bit of that um, sparkle I guess mm-hmm. missing and the the aniseed flavor is something I really like I don't I didn't eat so much anise seed, really. It wasn't such a popular uh, spice or, you know, food for me to eat in the past. But whenever I would eat it, usually after a really delicious Indian meal, um, like the coated anise mm-hmm. seeds, that was always a really special and, and like, delicious flavor. But mm-hmm. I didn't realize that anise was included in the kind of flavor profile of licorice itself.
1: Oftentimes. Not Oftentimes. in all licorice. Okay. But mostly, there's a little bit of aniseed yeah. flavor there to, mm-hmm. to kind of round everything out. And some licorice is really high in that aniseed flavor. Mm-hmm. And I think because of that... And and also, I think... Have you ever had the, the red vines, but when they're black? The black licorice yes. version? Yes. Do does taste like aniseed?
0: Mm, they're so sweet. And yeah. they don't really have a strong licorice flavor. Not compared to any of the, the licorice that okay. we eat here. Yeah,
1: But yeah, this... This is pure licorice okay. flavor. And it, it's int- and this will definitely have an effect too.
0: Mm-hmm. I feel it, actually. Mm-hmm.
1: And you, I don't know if you can feel this, mm-hmm. but I feel it coating my whole throat a little bit. Yes. And if you're having a cough, it's really common to go get something intense like this mm-hmm. and suck on it. And because it's not being diluted, and you're not supposed to chew this. It's <laughs> pretty bad if you chew this because it sticks to your teeth. It's very sticky. And then your teeth get all black. So you just have to suck on this. And because it's so concentrated and viscous almost, it kinda coats your throat mm-hmm. and it's really good for a cough. So but that's I think where the story gets really interesting. And we're gonna pull out another botanical soon to yes. uh, to help round that story out. Yes. But usually candies or certain drinks first started as botanical remedies many, many years ago. When we didn't have modern medicine, we just had these botanicals and you had to process these botanicals in a certain way so this is why this Italian person I forget his name um, but he in I think 1760 made what we're chewing on now as a product to sell in a pharmacy for things like a cough or maybe some indigestion, something like that Mm -hmm. became quite popular I guess Mm -hmm. and then British people were tasting it too and I guess they didn't really like this flavor so in England they actually started adding things like gum arabic and sugar to actually make it into more of a candy make it more palatable and the British actually did this before with tonic water so tonic water also was actually uh first born out of more of a medical use Okay. so i believe it was the british navy they figured out that if you take quinine from the quinchona tree mm-hmm. i believe there's a compound in there that has a positive effect on malaria infections or wow. i guess a negative effect because it, it it takes away some of the the malaria infections so wow. it makes it less likely oh. but it's super bitter Mm-hmm. So if you just take pure chinchona bark extract or uh, quinine sulfate, it's really bitter. Mm-hmm. and It's unpleasant. But if you put it in some water, some soda water, and then you add gin, it <laughs> tastes really nice. And you have less chances of getting malaria. And
0: then you have a reason to drink more gin and tonics, which is always good, for sure.
1: Exactly. But the interesting thing is, of course, don't take this as if you're going to a malaria-infested country, don't just rely on tonic water because it doesn't work anymore. Um, I guess the malaria virus has changed and adapted over Mm. time. This isn't as effective anymore. Mm -hmm. But it is kind of interesting that you can take these more medicinal type of herbs mm-hmm. that have a long history for those uses. Yeah. And you can turn it into something pleasurable, something that tastes nice. Uh of course, also an acquired taste. Not everyone mm-hmm. likes tonic water. Yeah. But I think that's an interesting thing. And... Really
0: fascinating. And it's also something, <clears throat> uh this quinine mm-hmm. is also something that's used in other liquors and liqueurs as well, to add a bitter element, to add a little bit of a depth of flavor and Uh, When I was making cocktails, I really was so passionate about uh, cocktail recipe creation when I was a cocktail bartender. Um, There were all different kinds of amaros and liquors and even uh, fortified wines that were using uh, quinine or quinone.
1: Quinine, quinine sulfate, usually. Yeah, Yeah. quinine. Or cinchona bark extract if you want to be a a little bit more natural.
0: Mm -hmm. As a a preserving agent, but also as a flavor agent Mm -hmm. as well. Um, and it's really fascinating to think about the shift from using these botanicals as you know medicinal botanicals or really as functional parts of keeping yourself well, you know, back however many hundreds of years, and then slowly perhaps our our cultures or some cultures have have moved toward more of a, a luxurious pleasure kind of fueled um, food and beverage consumption. But we're still actually consuming these, you know, medicinal botanicals in the mm-hmm. cocktails that we drink or in liquors or in candies, things that we we might now associate just with with fun and relaxed time and just pleasure. But they do still have all of that history behind them. i f- I find that just super fascinating.
1: absolutely. And when you're talking about these fortified wines like vermouth, mm-hmm. they were also first developed in Italy as actually, now, that I think about that, vermouth, I think maybe comes from Germany because I think the word vermouth is the German word for wormwood, mm-hmm. uh, which is one of the the famous or infamous botanicals in absinthe.
0: And what's now because German and Dutch are related, what is the Dutch word for wormwood? Do you know it?
1: It's <laughs> a great question. Well, now so, I'm thinking how you pronounce it. So, vermouth
0: Aha. But... Uh-huh. Okay, got yeah. it.
1: Uh And it's because you take Wormwood, Mm -hmm. uh, which is Artemisia vulgaris, I believe. And that was being extracted into wine. Mm. And if you look at the ancient Egyptians, apparently they were taking uh, Blue Lotus and extracting it into wine. And if you go through history, we've extracted a lot of botanicals into wine because you have water and you have ethanol in there. So you're making dual water ethanol extracts, basically wine extracts yeah and genius and and they were really being used more as like a a medical tool Mm -hmm. not necessarily as something to drink for pleasure yeah but because you have to use this anyways and it's good for you and it has some general health properties too Mm -hmm. there's incentive to make things taste nice so vermouth started tasting nicer Things like absinthe started to come about, uh, amaros. Mm-hmm. And and amaros, we're big fans of amaros, but those really came about because of their medicinal properties. And then you start adapting those medicinal properties into something that tastes nice and mm-hmm. still kind of has those properties. And I think it's interesting, if I look around in the US, if you look at a lot of the candy and, and a lot of the drinks, maybe Coca-Cola is one example where... Not anymore. I wouldn't say Coca-Cola is healthy at this point. No. No, I'm going to say <laughs> absolute no on that one. But back in the day, mm-hmm. it probably wasn't as sweet. It was laced with way more herbs. And mm-hmm. of course, a really infamous one that we shall not mention here. Yes. But it had some interesting medicinal properties. Mm-hmm. And Same thing with root beer, for example. Root beer too, yeah. Um, but I think a lot of that has started to become lost Everywhere, um... and
0: and perhaps the actual um, inspiration hasn't been lost. I mean, there's all kinds of really small soda companies that are making interesting sodas with different botanicals. <laughs> but the awareness, or perhaps the knowledge of where these flavors come from and the ingredients that create these flavors, that's not being shared quite as much, and that's not maybe as relevant or as interesting to people um, when you compare like this historical botanical usage to like the really spectacular Coca-Cola commercials. You know, we just see it as Coca-Cola red, Mm -hmm. but it has a way longer history before Coca-Cola was even a brand.
1: Yeah, and some of the herbs in there that should have been in a traditional Coca-Cola like Cola Nut uh, or even the leaf that we will not talk about, which I have sampled one time when we were in Chile uh, going up a mountain because of its properties for uh, altitude sickness. They have some really interesting effects. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure a Coca-Cola from whenever that was first, around like the 1800s or something like that, mm-hmm. probably had some really interesting beneficial effects. Yeah. But you start making it taste better and better and better, and then you also maybe lose some of those properties. Mm-hmm. So if we're thinking now about the Italians that were making this really intense extract that was then being dried on bay leaves, probably chock full of all sorts of interesting bioactives and now okay that's interesting but let's make it a little bit more palatable you take it over to england they start adding sugar to it gum arabic and then you end up with something actually let's start with this one first this is erica's favorite the yes. uh honey this yes. is a, a nice one to kind of rinse our palate
0: this is the this is the starter this is kind of uh droppies with training wheels this is the (laughs) honing drop which is really really tasty um it's it's soft it's chewy it really has a strong um beeswax honey flavor to it and it also has a nice um i wouldn't say mild but i would say really pleasant licorice flavor and
1: if you smell it it has that similar licorice flavor uh, aroma that you get from Mm -hmm. those sticks But the honey is also super strong. And And honey was traditionally being added as one of the sweeteners. And honey, of course, also has some nice soothing effects. All kinds
0: of good properties.
1: A lot of modern licorice is being made with gelatin. um, But a lot of the older licorice is being made with gum arabic. And this company in the Netherlands, they're kind of making licorice more according to traditional recipes. So this one's also made with gum arabic. So it's a little bit more... I guess it's it's pretty strong, actually. It
0: is pretty strong. Yeah,
1: but it has a different overall, like, if you bite into mm-hmm. it. But it this has is, a different
0: texture. Yeah.
1: yeah, but this one, especially with the honey flavor, this mm-hmm. is probably as close as what you might have gotten in England okay. back in the day. So okay. you take what we just sampled from Italy, and now we're advancing a few years, and now we're in England, and now we're tasting... Kind of what the English pharmacists were doing with it. And again, it's not being used as a candy at this point. It's really being used more of a a functional botanical. Yeah.
0: Okay, so we're going to enjoy this licorice. But now I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Because there's a drop, there's a licorice candy called Engelsdrop, which means Mm -hmm. English drop. But Mm -hmm. do you know anything about the history behind Engelsdrop or where that comes from?
1: I don't, but... It, the flavor profile of that is the most accessible like if you mm. don't like mm-hmm. licorice you can eat Engels drop which translates to English licorice it's super sweet it doesn't have a lot of that licorice flavor in there mm. um and if you look at this licorice we're eating now you're really starting with that block mm-hmm. um, and you call it drop block drop I think um and that's kind of the raw material that you then dilute and mm. i guess in some of the english later english drop mm-hmm. um it, it gets more and more and more diluted and more, mm. and, more and more and more and more sweet okay this is quite sweet mm-hmm. and it's still missing that aniseed flavor yeah so that must have come a little bit later okay as well
0: one thing also about the drop is that um you have these other kinds of candy flavors with it so there's there's different colors and there's slightly different flavors that are kind of an external or even an internal coating along with the licorice. So it really is more of a candy and like a confection, um, you know, treat. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look just plain black.
1: Yeah. So yeah, that's that's this licorice kind of moving on to England. Mm-hmm. And now that licorice is coming to the Netherlands, mm-hmm. to Germany, to Finland, Norway, all of these can- uh, countries. And I guess one thing we were doing for thinning out our mucus and for coughs was adding ammonium chloride Mm. so ammonium chloride when it enters your mouth the chloride dissociates from the ammonia and you just have some ammonia in your mouth and if you've ever worked in the hospitality industry you've probably used your ammonium cleaner i don't know if you've ever seen this at the the bar you worked at yeah Uh, but the cafe i worked at we just had ammonia, diluted ammonia, in a spray bottle and you spray surfaces down mm-hmm. and the ammonia has antibacterial properties. I most associate
0: ammonia with um, a quick cure for a jellyfish sting. That's mm. one use where I, where, I had, um, where I needed to use ammonia um, just like as a topical um, the other thing I associate ammonia with, is very random, but um, the smell of horse piss. It really smells like ammonia. In fact, there might be ammonia in...
1: There is, and there's actually... Horse <laughs> pee, sorry, that's horse a little bit piss. rude. <laughs> horse urine. <Let's>, horse uh... <laughs> urine, let's, let's, yeah,
0: okay, let's reel it back a little bit. Horse urine.
1: Uh, and actually, in our urine, there's mm-hmm. ammonia too, which is ah, why there's okay. this... Concept that if you do get stung by a jellyfish, you can just pee on your leg or yeah. have one of your friends pee on your leg, um, which I don't think is that effective. But no. part of it is that there is some ammonia in your urine.
0: And it's antibacterial.
1: And it's antibacterial. But here, if you take ammonium chloride and you take that ammonium chloride and you consume it, one, it can thin out your mucus, so it can be easier to expel mucus if you're having a cough or you're congested and the ammonium chloride is acting as an antibacterial. So whatever is causing those issues, it can have potentially a beneficial effect on the root cause. And I guess when the licorice kind of went from Italy to England and back to this part of the world where we were also using ammonium chloride, those two eventually met, and we call it salmiac, which is Salmiak, I think, generally is just ammonium chloride. Hmm. It has a salty taste. Um, and usually it's mixed with just licorice powder. So I got some of that too. Oh we're, boy. We're really going full oh. into the licorice. We're, oh my goodness. we're going to consume every form of it. Uh, so, <laughs> I we... must
0: say I'm like a little bit uh, nervous for this one because I still have the La Lía drop, drop, um, mm-hmm. the Italian one. Oh, <laughs> you and it's, still have Yeah, I mean, it's still dissolving in my mouth. <laughs> it's pretty bitter, uh-huh. um, but I haven't ever taken this powder before, and I really <laughs> don't know what to expect. When Emil and I first met, um, it was a really funny joke for Emil to give me um, licorice with salmiak salt on it, and but, tell but me hidden that it But hit it on the inside. Okay, yeah, hit it on the inside, and he would tell me that it was a nice candy, and I should try it, and then I would eat it, and would just be absolutely repulsed. I mean, I had never tasted candy with salt in it before. Never in my
1: life. Or ammonium chloride, because it tastes salty, but it's ammonium chloride, not sodium chloride, which we associate with salt, which is also kind of weird.
0: Yeah, but it took me years to get used to the flavor of the ammonium chloride in Mm -hmm. the licorice. And now I find it, it's okay. I will eat it. It's not something I reach for. But um, I never imagined that I would be eating the pure... (laughs) Ammonium chloride, licorice. Well,
1: and this is not pure ammonium chloride. Uh, So this is ammonium chloride mixed with um, powderized root. So let's see. There is licorice root extract in here, some sugar, um, salmiac salt, so the ammonium chloride, and then rice flour, Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: then actually a little bit of uh, salt. And again, there's the warning on here that don't use it if you have high blood pressure. So.
0: Okay. I just swallowed the rest of my Drop because <laughs> I need to make room for this experience. One question I have for you. Mm-hmm. Um the name of this powder is Oh, it smells nice. The name of this powder is Zvartwit Drop. Oh no, Mm-mm. sorry, Zvartwitz. Mm-hmm. But um if you were to translate it it's black white salt. Salty. But why is there black and white? I mean I understand where the black comes from with mm-hmm. the licorice, but where does the white from the
1: ammonium chloride,
0: hey, which okay. is white,
1: it's just a white crystalline powder. All right, okay, so this is kind of gross. You you need to have your own pot, but uh, I'll kind of hit an area so you just make your finger wet, you stick it in there.
0: This is a traditional way to do it, yeah. You oh. get
1: a nice little coating, ah, well, it's not too intense,
0: okay. This reminds me of those dipping Sticks That I would uh, eat in the U.S. as a kid Those are nice
1: <laughs> And this is quite bitter too There's a lot of licorice root extract in here
0: Mmm I really like this actually It's very tasty This tastes like licorice This has that slightly hollow Sweetness that goes to the side of your mouth And also the back mm-hmm. of your mouth That I experience with the licorice root mm. That's really nice actually mm-hmm. Now I'm thinking what could I use this with in terms of cooking? Maybe yeah. it would be nice to to sprinkle on cookies, like um, molasses cookies, for example. And that was uh, an inspired idea to, to mention molasses cookies, but it also reminds me of the info, the research that we were doing before the podcast, um, which we found out that molasses is commonly used as a sweetener for licorice as well. And that can contribute to its flavor and also
1: its color. Not in the Netherlands, it seems. More in Scandinavian companies. So if you've ever seen the lacrids, the kind of fancy licorice that's going all over the world now, they're using molasses. And that's probably why theirs is maybe a little bit more black, too. Um, Here, it's really just that licorice extract is black. and, Mm -hmm. And that's why black licorice is black.
0: But I can imagine that this would combine really well with a molasses cookie Mm -hmm. or even with mm, another another cookie perhaps i mean of course if you were into making your own chocolates or your own candies this could be something nice to coat your candies with Mm -hmm. it makes it so that your candies don't stick together Um, but it's a really nice flavor and it's not too intense and it's not too salty
1: yeah this is actually i would have expected it to be a bit saltier, Mm -hmm. but there's actually a much higher concentration of licorice extract in here. So what I'm getting hit with more is that kind of herbal bitterness, that's slightly hollow sweetness. Uh, But this was probably a very common form of how to, what you would get in a pharmacy here, if you had a a cough or something like that, you would get this powder Mm -hmm. and you would just consume this powder. But then you take this powder and you take the concepts of the, the British and then you end up with one of our final forms which is mildly salty licorice Mm
0: -hmm. and in dutch you would say
1: milts out yes so it gets more intensely salty uh, but this is about uh, this is a, a nice middle of the road and actually i think it's the european union they've tried to limit Uh, the Netherlands and other Scandinavian countries in how much ammonium chloride they can actually use in food products to 0.3%. Because they think ammonium chloride is, it's not great to be consuming large amounts of it. And the fact that it is an antimicrobial compound for your gut health, it is probably not a great idea to be consuming Mm. large amounts of ammonium chloride. And so they tried to limit it to 0.3%. And basically everyone said, you can do that with all of our food products, make it 0.3%, but don't touch our licorice. Because most licorice, uh, or some licorice, can get up to 7% ammonium chloride by weight. Wow. So, it could get really salty, and especially in Scandinavian countries, Mm. they can be really intensely salty. Um, This is probably way over 0.3% as well. So...
0: Just keep that in mind. They Maybe. passed the
1: law, but they they made the exception for licorice. So licorice, we can Un- put as much ammonium chloride as we want okay. in there.
0: Interesting. So perhaps it's a good idea to then take some uh, probiotics after you eat your licorice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Potentially, yeah.
0: <All> Cheers. Right. <laughs> Cheers.
1: And now I think we're getting the um, the anise. The anise. For sure. It doesn't say it's in here.
0: No, really.
1: but I definitely taste anise. Mm-hmm, me too. That's kind of funny that it doesn't list it on here.
0: Yeah.
1: And this actually also contains molasses. Okay. But this is more what I would assume someone in the U.S. would associate with licorice. Like it's a little bit salty mm-hmm. and it's a little bit aniseedy. Mm-hmm. Um, a flavor profile that I really like And mm-hmm. I think a lot of Americans don't enjoy it
0: Not so much, but I do think it's Sort of an acquired taste um, You Or you either love it Or you hate it My mom always loved black licorice Like really, really loved it And I was never a fan of it um, But I remember she would really like um, Good and Plenty's Which are pretty dark Pretty, pretty serious licorice flavor um, But I was never into it as a kid So my mom loved it. I didn't love it, and I think perhaps some other family members of mine were really, really into licorice. But it was kind of a split thing, mm. sort
1: of a polarizing flavor for people. It makes sense. Yeah, but now you can imagine you you have that the beneficial effects of licorice, mm-hmm. especially it can be acting as a cough suppressant, mm-hmm. and you have the ammonium chloride, which can thin your mucus mm-hmm. and has that antimicrobial effect, and it tastes nice. Yeah for me not for everyone yeah. for you it tastes nice too but it's a yeah. really acquired taste but it really is more of a, a thing that you would have in pharmacies that got used so much it just became a part of the culture and to the point where we eat millions of kilos of licorice every year yeah um, but of course you don't always want to be consuming that amount of glyceric acid so for me I definitely don't eat licorice on a daily basis mm
0: Almost daily basis. (laughs) I mean, it depends. And of course, the the licorice candies that Mm. we're eating together, I don't think they have such a huge concentration of... They will. The the actual... uh, They will.
1: Yeah, because if it has, like, that nice sweet taste, Mm -hmm. that's the glyceric acid. That's that's not so great okay, about it maybe him. we have to s-
0: <laughs> well it's good I don't buy licorice every time I go to the store mm-hmm. maybe every other time I go to the store so now I will think about another sweet treat because but what I was really going to say enjoy it a lot
1: I don't eat licorice every day no. I definitely don't I no. didn't eat any basically this last week mm-hmm. but when I get licorice I just binge <laughs> on the licorice so I eat a large amount of it and then I kind of put it out of my system it's really like my guilty pleasure I love licorice and sometimes at the bar they have the salmari stuff which is like a liquefied shot of licorice and it's salty and
0: very salty it's very intense
1: Uh, but don't eat it consistently but those mood effects are really nice so Mm -hmm. of course i'm eating a bunch of sugar it's a nice flavor it's nostalgic it's It's, it's, i've grown up with it Mm -hmm. it just makes me feel good because it tastes good and how it tastes but also because of the bioactives and that Really brings us to the most important part of this podcast is to actually discuss isoliquitogenin.
0: And to reference our title, which is that isoliquitogenin is candy for your brain, and to talk about the mood benefits mm-hmm. from isoliquitogenin, which comes from licorice root. So before we jump straight into that, I do want to check in with you and ask how the effects are and what you're feeling from the isoliquitogenin tablets. Now we've also added all of these licorice candies on top of that. So that mm-hmm. might be adding to the effects as well. Yeah. But tell me, what are you feeling with your mood? What are you feeling physically? And um, yeah, at what point did you start to notice those changes taking place?
1: It's still somewhat mild for me. And part of the reason probably is also because I'm, I'm focused on telling the story and the history <laughs> of licorice. And presenting all of these licorice candies. But now that I kind of, if I sit still for a second... I'm starting to feel something. The one interesting thing to note for me is, with the isolectrogenin, it takes a little while to kick in. I, I actually seem to have things kick in much slower for me, uh, when compared to some of the other people on our team. So for me, I'm not totally at an effects level yet that I'm used to, especially with how high of a dose we've taken, which. By the way, I've never gone over 75 milligrams, so that's mm. three tablets, so this is kind of unexplored territory too, but what I can notice is like a a distinct kind of focus effect. Uh, it's calming, but it's also focusing, and I think right now what I'm getting the most of is more of the focus, and I would liken it to a bit of that caffeine altheine type of experience but a little bit smoother but I'm definitely starting to feel especially now that I'm sitting still like w- things feel a little bit more weightless like my my body feels a bit more relaxed which we'll talk about why that happens in a sec but yeah a little bit more physically relaxed a little bit more mentally relaxed but also more focused and I think that's a really interesting aspect of liquidogen. Mm-hmm. what are you feeling so far?
0: I definitely noticed the relaxation in my in my throat, in my mouth, in my vocal cords. And you were talking about it earlier, and talking mm-hmm. about how um, licorice can help with you know uh, loosening up or the the ammonium sulfate chloride chloride. Mm-hmm. The ammonium chloride can help loosen up mucus, and the licorice itself can um, be sort of anti-inflammatory. And I definitely feel that my throat is relaxed. Perhaps that's. Partially from the isaliquidogenin, perhaps that's also from the candies, but I definitely feel that for sure. Um, and I think my whole throat, mouth area also feels very moisturized, if if I can say that. It feels very yes. fluid and and like there's nothing blocking. I'm not getting any kind of like urge that I have to cough at all. So I'm feeling that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also feeling which
1: interesting to note. Mm-hmm. We cut out certain parts sometimes because yes. For some reason, if you're really focused on talking on a podcast, it's way different than just chatting to a friend. Because you're trying to articulate really nicely, you're trying to do it at a a certain volume, and you're very focused, and you're trying not to make as many mouth sounds. So if I were to just be out in public and and talking to someone or on a call with someone, I'd be swallowing a lot more, I'd be kind of swishing my mouth around a bit Mm -hmm. more. But if we do that then you start picking up all of these weird mad sounds on camera and it doesn't sound nice. So you kind of have to train yourself for mm-hmm. that. But for me and for you at a certain point we just kind of have a coughing fit. Uh in
0: the podcast. In the podcast. Yeah, for for me not as much. I think that's because I have experience recording um voiceovers but also recording myself singing and so I I definitely have learned over time how to manage mucus in a way where you can't even hear it when I'm speaking or where you can't even hear it when I'm singing, which is something that you can be trained to do, but you can also just learn how to do it over time. Mm -hmm. But I definitely noticed it with you and it it used to be worse when we first started the podcast. Mm -hmm. Now it's not so bad, but there can come a time, especially in a stressful moment or if we've had like an intense setup where your voice starts to react to that stress Mm -hmm. and you start to cough but that hasn't happened a single time on this
1: episode. And and I feel like like you were saying everything is a little bit more moisturized mm-hmm. and my voice feels more relaxed mm-hmm. and or my vocal cords. So that's kind of an interesting effect. Something I've never of course paid attention to with licorice cuz I've never consumed this amount of licorice and then talked in front of a camera for an extended for period. For an extended of time. period of time. Mm-hmm. I did do it of course with Isalicoricegen and video. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um but there's definitely some sort of effect and and it's nice mm-hmm. and and I might notice like an effect in my stomach a little bit where it's, it's slightly relaxing and that's likely more coming from the licorice extracts and the licorice root that we were mm-hmm. chewing on earlier rather than the
0: I definitely feel a bit of a warming effect in my mm-hmm. stomach yeah. which is not something that I experience with a whole lot of supplements. I do sometimes feel like more open or more relaxed, but this really has, like, a warming kind of effect to it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting, and, and the more I talk about it now, the more I start to feel the effects coming on. Like, mm-hmm. it's clearly GABAergic. Um, so, I, I think this is, we can do one of two things. You get to decide. We didn't talk about our new products yet. Yes, so that's So, we true. can break and do that, or we yes. can get into the pharmacology of isoliquidigena.
0: Mm. I think we should jump straight into the pharmacology because we've done such a great build-up with all of these candies, (laughs) but we've also dropped a few of the hints about the mechanisms of action for the benefits of isoliquidogenin. So let's get into it.
1: Absolutely. So one of the things I was mentioning is that I felt a bit of physical relaxation. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure if you've started to notice that. Yes. Um, And part of that is because Isoliquitogenin is acting as a GABA-B agonist, so there's two types, it's a bit more complex, but let's simplify it, there's two types of GABA receptors, the GABA-A receptor, which is made up of a bunch of different subunits, which is why it's it's a bit more complicated than there only being two different GABA receptors, because how the GABA-A receptor is constructed with all of the different subunits makes a big difference into how it acts when it gets activated. So, but let's forget about that for now. We have GABA-A, which we'll talk about shortly, and then we have GABA-B. And GABA-B receptors seem to control physical, uh, like, muscle tension and things like that a bit more. So if you activate GABA-B, things relax. In your gut, that can happen. So you have this this relaxation effect in your gut. It's probably where some of the gastrointestinal effects of licorice are coming from would be this minor GABA-B agonism, which is significantly elevated in isoliquid of course, because we have a much higher concentration of it. Uh, And it has a a nice mood effect. So we always like GABA-B agonism, but you almost never find it in nature. So that was a really interesting thing for us to discover when we started looking at licorice root and what was in there, and then we find isoliquidogenin, and then we find, hey, it's a GABA B agonist. That was the, the moment where we knew, okay, we have to start looking at isoliquidogenin. I think that's going to be the key to capturing licorice's mood boosting effects, amplifying them a bit, and removing the risk of glyceric acid. Isoliquidogenin is also a GABA A agonist that's also nice actually I believe it's a GABA-A positive allosteric modulator together with straight up GABA-B agonism so those two together you get the more mentally relaxing effects from that GABA-A portion and you get some more of those physically relaxing effects from the GABA-B portion so it just that alone is really interesting and would make isoliquitogenin a top choice for us because I personally am a huge fan of GABAergic's uh, Paul is also a big fan of GABAergic's, you're a big fan of GABAergic's, it seems like we're all kind of fans of GABAergic's around yeah. the office, um, so especially GABA-B agonists, we we really like those, and we've been missing a GABA-B agonist, so it was really interesting to find isoliquid to And then when we tried it, we noticed, hey, it's it's also a bit stimulating, it's not just relaxing, and it actually doesn't really make us tired. In fact, I would never take this before bed because it's starting to kick in a little bit more now. Yeah. I'm starting to get I feel like that that kind of chatty effect. Mm-hmm. I want to go a bit faster. Um I'm getting a bit more physical energy now. Yeah. There's definitely a, a stimulating component to it and that's because isolicitrogenin is an inhibitor of both monoamine oxidase A and monoamine oxidase B. So it's okay. a dual MAO inhibitor. Wow. And what that means, we've discussed this multiple times on the podcast already, but just a quick refresher, there's multiple different ways in which neurotransmitters can become degraded or removed from the synaptic cleft. So to back up just a little bit more, the basics of neurotransmission is you get an electrical signal, which goes into the presynaptic neuron, and that presynaptic neuron is full of little things called vesicles, they're these little circles, and they get packed with neurotransmitters. And then those neurotransmitters float around in the presynaptic neuron they bind to the cellular membrane and when that happens a process kicks in that then opens up the vesicle and the cellular membrane and the neurotransmitter can be released into a fluid filled cavity called the synaptic cleft when it's floating around in there it can interact on the opposite side which you call the postsynaptic neuron which is where receptors for those neurotransmitters are those neurotransmitters combine to those receptors and then they go off the receptor again because it's not a very strong bond and it's kind of a chaotic system in there so you have these neurotransmitters going on and off on and off on and off on the receptor which is causing electrical signals to be sent and then the process repeats and then that electrical signal in the the next presynaptic neuron triggers another event of neurotransmitter release. But it's important that you also remove these neurotransmitters so you don't get constant activation. And there's three main ways that happens. One of them is diffusion. It just floats off into nowhere and then it can't interact with these receptors anymore. Or another thing that can happen, well two things that can happen. One of them is that these monoamine oxidase enzymes they float in and they just degrade the neurotransmitter. And by doing that, it gets inactivated. So if you look at, um, for example, dopamine is mostly degraded by monoamine oxidase B. If you look at serotonin, it's mostly being degraded by monoamine oxidase A, and monoamine oxidase A is also more specific to norepinephrine. So all of those neurotransmitters are being broken down by monoamine oxidase, or you can have transporters kind of grab those neurotransmitters and put them back into the presynaptic neuron awaiting another release event but what that, that to, to tie it into isooliqui if you block the monoamine oxidase enzymes you lose one out of three main pathways by which neurotransmitters are removed so mm-hmm. you're slowing down the degradation which means more dopamine more norepinephrine more serotonin is staying in that synaptic cleft and has a higher likelihood of activating the receptor. And that means you have more monoamine neurotransmitters like norepinephrine and dopamine, which can be stimulating, and serotonin, which can be mood-boosting and a little bit relaxing, and you're amplifying that.
0: So I just want to jump in for a second, because as you've been describing these whole processes, I'm starting to feel really relaxed and really, really um, laid back, Almost to the point where I feel a little bit sleepy. Ah, interesting. And this is interesting because sometimes we have some opposite um, experiences mm-hmm. with certain compounds. And as you were describing, basically the, the effects of this monoamine oxidase inhibition, which causes more of these neurotransmitters to build up in your brain. Mm-hmm. I was thinking uh, that I must be producing more serotonin. Right? It, it, or, I mean, perhaps I'm producing some more serotonin. Or is norepinephrine also one that can have this kind of relaxing effect?
1: Norepinephrine, norepinephrine, by the way, is really badly understood by, mm. by most people. Mm-hmm. We usually associate norepinephrine. Uh, so norepinephrine, another name for it is noradrenaline.
0: Yes, so it wouldn't so, make sense to have... Uh, a calming effect from norepinephrine well
1: and that's kind of where it gets difficult because a lot of people think norepinephrine always means you're going to get more stimulated Mm. but it's not always the case and norepinephrine can actually be slightly relaxing in a way that it enhances focus in the right amount okay you increase that then it definitely gets more physically stimulating Mm -hmm. especially um, but there's also some nice memory-enhancing and cognition-enhancing effects associated with it. Okay. What you're probably feeling the most is the GABA A and GABA B modulation. Yes, uh, and maybe for you, the monoamine oxidase inhibition effects haven't kicked in as much yet. And That's I, I do think uh, you do seem to be quite sensitive to monoamine oxidase inhibition too. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: But basically, you have this contrast of. GABA-A and Mm GABA-B going up, the activation of of both of those, so you have more inhibition happening Mm -hmm. in your brain, but then you also have more of these monoamine neurotransmitters coming up, which then is stimulating. For most people. Not everyone, by the way. Not everyone has a stimulating effect with monoamine oxidase inhibitors, which Mm -hmm. is kind of interesting. Some people just experience nothing from Vignitex or Tribugen. Mm -hmm. And I believe, and I've mentioned this on the previous podcast, I believe, with Lucas, that some people just have very low levels of monoamine oxidase already. So if you try to inhibit it, not a whole lot is happening there. Mm -hmm. And people who usually have higher levels of monoamine oxidase which, according to my genetic testing, I seem to have higher levels of monoamine oxidase A and B. Mm -hmm. For me, I'm very sensitive to monoamine oxidase inhibitors, so that's kind of why I came up with this theory. I'm not sure how correct that is, but it does seem... I know one other person who actually has low monoamine oxidase A and B levels determined by genetic testing. Again, we're not sure how accurate that is. But they notice nothing from Ficnatex um, mm. or Tribulus. Whereas for me, it's really stimulating. So there might be something there. Your levels might be different. You've never gotten your genetics uh, tested. So mm-hmm. maybe there's something there. Yeah. But it's interesting because you have this calming effect being contrasted with a stimulating effect if you respond to the monoamine oxidase inhibition effect. And those two together create an effects profile that's like super amplified L-theanine, where... Or caffeine l where you get that same synergy between a stimulating component and a calming component. Now it's just happening in one extract mm-hmm. or one compound. And that compound is also producing even smoother effects, but mm-hmm. also more mood elevating effects.
0: Yeah. If anything, I would say that this kind of relaxation, this is the relaxation that I have when I say to you, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit tired. And you say... Are you sure you're tired or are you just really really relaxed? And this mm-hmm. is this is that feeling where um I even feel it in my facial muscles or especially my fa- facial muscles like around my eyes and kind of the back of my head like these muscles that I don't normally even sense are 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 clenching or really working and now I'm sitting here and having this conversation with you and it just feels like from the the hairs on my head all the way through my toes. My whole body is just relaxed. And perhaps this is also happening because now it's been um, over an hour since we took the isoliquidogenin tablets. Mm -hmm. And at first I was feeling a lot of stimulation. That can also be because we started the podcast. Mm -hmm. But now I'm really feeling those relaxing effects starting to really set in. And I'm curious uh, for anyone who's taken isoliquidogenin, do you also notice that there is kind of an initial stimulation and then easing into a relaxing effect. If you have, or if you've had other experiences, definitely let us know um, in the comments because we always find it fascinating to know what you feel from these extracts. But let's get back to talking about the the mechanisms of action.
1: But interesting there, too, is maybe with these escalating dosages, Mm. at a certain point, there's not as much monoamine oxidase inhibition going on, but there's more GABA-A and GABA-B activation going on. So you start transitioning more towards GABAergic effects rather than those stimulating monoaminergic effects.
0: How are GABA and monoamine oxidase related to each other? They're not. Okay, so explain to me how, yeah, th- walk me back a little bit. How mm-hmm. how are they related to each other, the GABAergic effects, GABA-A, GABA-B? Mm-hmm. Just like a really quick breakdown.
1: Well, GABA is a neurotransmitter. Mm-hmm. It's an amino acid neurotransmitter. It's one of the main inhibitory, or what we would like in practice to call a relaxing neurotransmitter.
0: Mm-hmm. Is this in a similar category as norepinephrine, serotonin, and dopamine? No. Okay. So...
1: Dopamine, norepinephrine, and serotonin are all monoamines. Okay. So it's a neurotransmitter that has an amine group Mm -hmm. on it. Okay. And just one. So you call them monoamines.
0: Monoamines. And Mm -hmm. then the GABAergic is its own
1: category. It's an amino acid neurotransmitter. Yes. Okay. And and there's a couple of those. So the big one is GABA, Mm -hmm. which is the the big inhibitory neurotransmitter amino acid neurotransmitter Mm -hmm. and then you have glutamate which is the main excitatory neurotransmitter okay amino acid neurotransmitter and then you also have glycine which is also acting as a bit of a neurotransmitter and also has its own receptors okay so i'm just
0: going to inject a little bit for glutamate Mm -hmm. glutathione no for example no they're not related to each other it sounds similar but they're not related no okay and then for the... MSG,
1: for example, mm-hmm. um, which has a really bad rep, which yeah. I find very unfortunate, um, it's monosodium glutamate. Mm, okay. And glutamic acid, yeah. it's in a lot of our foods. So soy sauce is full of glutamic acid. Any fermented food is going to be very high in glutamic acid. Mm-hmm. And this glutamic acid, when it activates receptors on your tongue, produces the sensation of umami. Okay. So pure umami is glutamate
0: but what other supplements have glutamate just just off the top of your head Do we even really, like, search for that in supplementation, or...?
1: Usually you're trying to actually dampen glutamate activity. Uh, So, and there's... The glutamate system is quite complex. You have a lot of different glutamate receptors, and one of the ones we're often concerned with is the NMDA glutamate Uh receptor, or the AMPA glutamate receptor. Okay. NMDA is very important for long-term potentiation. Mm -hmm. So if you activate the NMDA receptor... You can actually create new neural pathways, and that is called long-term potentiation. So there's real physical changes in your brain Mm -hmm. that then help encode memories. And AMPA is involved there too, which interestingly, when we're most focused on NMDA, it's NMDA antagonists. Because you also don't want too much NMDA activation or too much glutamatergic activity because... That can cause excitotoxicity, so it can make your brain overstimulated, mm. basically.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and that's also why there's uh, GABA is the main inhibitory one, glutamate mm. is the main excitatory one, and they keep each other in balance. I see. Which is also really interesting because glutamate turns into GABA. Okay. And GABA can turn into glutamate again, so they they are interchangeable with okay. each other too.
0: So these are these are two. Um which are in the same category. Mm -hmm. But then you also mentioned glycine. Mm -hmm. And glycine is what's attached to magnesium glycinate, right? Yes. Yes, But but
1: glycine is also, (laughs) that's not the only place where you would find glycine, of course. But in terms of (laughs) Neutrophic
0: Stevo products and things that that we can think of as practical examples, that's one really clear one. It's even in the name.
1: And the interesting thing about glycine and the glycine receptor is that if you look at the NMDA receptor, Mm there's also a glycine receptor on the NMDA receptor. Mm, So if you activate glycine, Mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting because glycine also has an inhibitory effect. It is usually relaxing and as a neurotransmitter in the brain, it usually has an inhibitory function, but on the NMDA receptor, it acts as a coagonist. So If you activate the glycine receptor, then the NMDA receptor becomes more sensitive and it's more easy for that NMDA receptor to become activated Mm. and have that long-term potentiation effect. So there's, especially back in the day and and still a little bit here and there, there's people looking at compounds that specifically interact with that glycine site on the NMDA receptor as a nootropic. And that's also one of the reasons why I find magnesium glycinate to be interesting because Magnesium actually slots straight into the NMDA receptor, and for the NMDA receptor, it's an ionotropic receptor, which means that when it becomes activated, it changes its shape. And when it changes its shape, it can let ions, like sodium or potassium or calcium in and out and that changes the electrical gradient and that can cause action potentials like we talked about and that can travel through the axon of a neuron and that can cause neurotransmitter release so that's that's one of the ways and that channel the NMDA channel is usually blocked by magnesium so there's a magnesium ion in there and if the NMDA receptor gets activated strongly enough that magnesium gets liberated, and it opens, and now ions can flow in and out, and now that system is active. Okay. What's interesting about magnesium is if you consume more magnesium, then it's acting as an NMDA antagonist, in a sense, because it's making it less likely that the NMDA receptor will activate when it's not supposed to activate. So it kind of controls the system more. But then you add in glycine, and it also makes the receptor more sensitive. So you're kind of like fine-tuning the NMDA receptor in a sense to enhance long-term potentiation. But wow. so that's that's we're getting kind of a neuroscience lesson at mm-hmm. this point. Yeah. Um, but if we we backtrack a little bit to GABA, mm-hmm. GABA is generally and. It, it's a very oversimplified system as well. There's a lot more to GABA, but in general, GABA A and GABA B is going to cause relaxation. Glutamatergic activation is going to cause a bit more of um, exc- excitatory effects. And it's really interesting if you consider kind of the effects of ethanol, mm-hmm. um, it activates GABA and it blocks NMDA receptors. So. Okay under the influence of ethanol you would feel relaxed and the NMDA receptor also controls um, motor coordination Uh so and and If you take enough of a GABAergic, your motor coordination will also go down. But if you then also, on top of that, block the NMDA receptor, you really start to lose motor coordination quite a bit, which is why alcohol is such a societal problem at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. because you're just knocking out your motor function. Mm -hmm. But the next day, what's kind of interesting is because you have this, especially usually if you consume alcohol, you're doing it for many, many hours at a time. And then the next day when you wake up, It will kind of be in reverse, because if you're activating the GABA receptor a lot and you're blocking the NMDA receptor, the natural response to that is to upregulate the NMDA receptor because Mm -hmm. it's being blocked and we want to overcome that and to downregulate the GABA receptor because there's too much activation and we want to overcome that, too. So the next day you're going to have more glutamate tone and less GABA tone, which could Mm -hmm. result in some nervousness. so we're usually trying to achieve the opposite side okay. of that, where we're trying to dampen glutamate and we're trying to elevate GABA and keep those in, in control there. Okay. And, and that's also where things get really complicated because serotonin, for example, if you activate the 5 H 2 a receptor, which we talk about extensively in our Cognance episode and our Bacopa episode, certain types of serotonin 5-HC2A receptor activation actually cause releases of glutamate and that's important to the effects of these 5-HC2A agonists so okay. glutamate can also be an important part there but as far as I know isoliquitogen is not having serious effects on glutamate it's more GABAergic so it's going to be more calming but it's also going to have that stimulating effect because of the monoamine oxidase inhibition and there's three more interesting things that it does which are a little bit misunderstood still and i'm still having a hard time figuring out how exactly that slots into everything so it's acting as a dopamine d1 antagonist okay so usually we want to try and activate dopamine Mm -hmm. and and that's gives you motivation a mood boost a cognition boost um but sometimes it can also cause some, some weird psychological symptoms mm-hmm. as well. Um, such as? Uh, such as maybe a, a bit of edginess or or maybe, you know, we won't get into much of what that does okay. outside of the scopes of supplements. But okay. sometimes it's good to block the dopamine receptors and, okay. and the dopamine D1 receptors. So it's kind of interesting that... We're both getting an increase in dopamine because of that monoamine oxidase inhibition effect, but we're also blocking the dopamine D1 receptor. And that could have a unique calming effect as Mm, well. Okay. But on the flip side, it's also acting as a dopamine D3 agonist. So now you have dopamine increasing. One dopamine receptor is being blocked by isoliquidogenin, and one is actually being activated. And the dopamine D3 receptor is very important for mood, and for cognition and memory. So there's some interesting effects there too and it's it's hard to figure out how exactly that that balance of dopamine D1 inhibition and dopamine D3 activation is playing together especially in context with the monoamine oxidase inhibition effects. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, isoliciquatidine is also acting as a vasopressin 1A receptor activator which It's kind of hard to figure out exactly what that is doing. The the research on this receptor is not super fleshed out yet, but it seems to have an important effect on overall socialization. So it seems to be important there. It seems to have a link with oxytocin as well. In some studies, they think... Blocking the vasopressin 1A receptor is having a, a beneficial effect. On the other hand, you have studies looking at vasopressin 1A activation and that having positive effects. So both blockade and activation can have positive effects. And it, again, it's kind of hard to figure out exactly what it is doing in the context of isooliquitigenin. but when you take everything together, it produces a really unique mood boosting, relaxing, energizing effect mm-hmm. uh and it's definitely developing more for me now uh and I, I this high dose is interesting i would say i might prefer a slightly lower dose mm-hmm. when we've tried lower doses it's it's a little bit more stimulating yeah this definitely feels much more GABAergic yes uh, and something i notice with GABAergic is that the sensitivity of my fingertips tends to change so, Increase? I n- decrease
0: decrease, okay, so I
1: notice that a little bit now, and then things like my hair can feel a little bit softer oh, because really? I'm not feeling as much, or and mm. i d- I notice that with most gabrgics mm. uh interesting, so that's kind of an interesting effect, yeah, but it also means that isolecritogenin is going to have a very beneficial effect if you have muscle tension and that muscle mm-hmm. tension is causing pain, yeah. Then isoliquitogenin can be a very interesting way of managing that pain, mm-hmm. especially because it can help relax your muscles. And before we started recording this podcast, I think I slept a little bit wrong last night, and my neck was a little bit sore. Or maybe I was doing a lot of research, and because of that research, um, my my neck was sore. Mm-hmm. But either way, now that's gone. So just the relaxing effects of that that GABAergic GABA B effect I think is it's really beneficial there mm-hmm. um, so I- an interesting option if that's something that you are dealing with mm-hmm. could be could be a cool option to look at For and sure. especially if you consider that isoleucine of course also has inflammation regulating effects and if we go outside of the scope of the brain and then we can also look at what it's doing in the rest of the body so like i mentioned earlier GABA-B activation in the gut can actually help with motility. So it's something that a lot of people enjoy about something uh, like apigenin or other kind of GABAergic compounds or just GABA itself, that it can have a relaxing effect in the gut. Mm. And I think isoliquidogenin also does that um, because... It's going to be traveling through your gastrointestinal system. And when it's traveling through the gastrointestinal system, it can bind to GABA receptors there. Okay. So that can have an interesting effect.
0: Yeah, right to the source.
1: And then if we keep exploring what's happening in the rest of the body, I think what's really interesting about AMPA, or sorry, about isoliquitogenin, is that it's an AMPA activator. And that's something that we've looked at a lot, especially in the longevity scene. Uh, and, and a lot of our products are AMPA activators. Things like berberine are, is an AMPA activator, cycloastragenol, astragaloside-4, uh, hesperidin, nobilitin. There's a lot of AMPA activators, and these AMPA activators can help enhance cellular energy as well. And I think that's an interesting aspect of isolequitogenin-2, where it has these inflammation-regulating effects. Oh, it, it upregulates nrf 2 which is something that sulforaphane, for example, does. So that's one of the, the broccoli bioactives. And upregulating regulating NRF2 enhances the um, antioxidant defenses in your body. Yeah. So it has an oxidation-regulating effect. It has an inflammation-regulating effect. It has that GABA effect, that GABA-B effect, so for pain. Kind of an interesting option,
0: absolutely. And
1: for longevity and just overall metabolic health, it's also interesting because of that AMPA effect, and it's also an mTORC1 inhibitor, which can also play a major role there. so I think that's also really interesting that you have this very active compound in your brain that's also active throughout your body, and being able to provide that without the glyceric acid, which could have negative effects on our overall health. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really interesting option, and. It It is a bit of a goofy one. I, I do have to admit, like, the the effects are, are sometimes hard to integrate in a stack. We don't have it in our current stack. Mm-hmm. I do use it frequently, though. So, like I was mentioning, with my neck muscles being sore, I'll usually take a double dose of isoliquidogen, and that will kind of help relax my muscles. And it's a nice one if I'm just having some general overall... Tension, or I'm feeling a little bit nervous, or mm-hmm. I'm actually feeling a little bit tired. It, it's a it's a nice occasional one, mm-hmm. and I think that that concept of more occasional nootropics is is really interesting. And it's a good
0: segue, actually. Yeah, if we're ready to uh, step away from all of the intense mm-hmm. science, well, at least just for a moment, yeah. um, to talk about some new
1: supplements. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, great. Because the new supplements that we'll be talking about are ones for us, too, that are definitely not in our daily stack. Um, Because, again, they can be, well, one of them is kind of in your daily stack. The other one is a little bit harder to integrate because the effects are so intense. So let's start with that one.
0: Yes. And just in the meantime, while Emile is grabbing the supplement bottles, um, thank you for all of your listening ears. And thank you for sticking around and sharing the In Search of Insight podcast um, over the last two years If you have just watched this really intense section about all of the different mechanisms of action of isoliquidogenin and you want to go back and listen again and clarify what you've learned, you can do that by going to the chapters which are going to be in the description on the YouTube video and they're also going to be in the description on the Spotify video as well. Um, If you have questions about what you've learned, we always do a question and answer session on Reddit. And that's our subreddit. It's going to be r slash Depot. So we always do this kind of formal question and answer post on our subreddit, but you're also welcome to comment um, or post about the podcast on Reddit and let us know what you thought. Let us know what you learned. Um, if you have other interesting research that might uh, support things or even new research that we weren't aware of before this podcast about licorice or isoliquidogenin, we want to know. Yes. Um, so don't be shy. Definitely reach out to us. And if you want to go back through that information, check out those chapters. They're always there every single month. So, ooh, you just poured yourself some of that tonic Do water. Do you want some
1: tonic water yeah, too? Yeah,
0: I'm going to finish my my normal water, and then I want to try some of this tonic water.
1: So yeah, now we're we're back in Britain for a little bit. Yes. Uh, with that quinine. And I'm actually going to check if they put chinchona bark extract in mm-hmm. here, or if it's...
0: Something else. I'm also curious um, because fever tree tonic water is really nice and mm-hmm.
1: and especially in this one please fever tree sponsor us so Oh we that can would drink be nice. this on every episode <laughs> but I'm,
0: I'm curious about the ingredients that they use because they have different flavor profiles they have different um, labels and this one is the Mediterranean tonic but I'm also familiar they have an Indian tonic as well mm-hmm. and I don't know what different kinds of botanicals they use for them but in this one
1: they don't say this oh, one just say. says okay. natural flavorings but it does include it says natural flavoring including quinine so that means okay. they they just put quinine sulfate in here yeah which is why it has a very clean bitter taste and mm. that bitter taste is coming from the quinine
0: okay but it's not quite as maybe peppery as the indian okay. one um if you're into cocktails or you're into beverages, you probably know about Fever Tree already, but it's really tasty and fun to be able to drink it along with all these other candies that we've been eating.
1: Or if you're into espresso tonics, mm, which mm-hmm. is one of my favorite summer uh, coffee beverages, yeah. I find that it goes really well with the Mediterranean.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. the Mediterranean would be a good match for sure.
1: But anyways, enough reviewing Fever Tree Tonic.
0: (laughs) And talking about cocktails.
1: (laughs) This is our spin-off YouTube channel. Now we will do tonic water reviews.
0: Yeah, or just beverages in general. Mm -hmm. Um, No, we're actually going to start by talking about a really exciting beverage that we have. Um, And do you have the bottles? Not a beverage. Well, it is a beverage. You can make a beverage with it. We have a new product oh, that we're going to okay. talk about. I thought and, we were going to uh, talk about
1: Canna first. No,
0: no. We're going to talk about the other one first. We're going to talk about something okay. that you can make you can, into a beverage.
1: This is Erica's favorite, so you can explain this one.
0: Yes, this is this is really my favorite. Like, truly my favorite. This is the Mushroom Magic Matcha Powder, which you can make into matcha tea. Hot or cold. Um.
1: Or with milk, and then or it's kind of milk. like a latte. Yes. We really like it that way.
0: Yes. I don't know... How I, how, how, how I did things. How I got inspiration before <laughs> I tried this, <laughs> this product. Actually, it's something um, that has brought so much clarity and motivation and focus for me um, from the first time that I tried the initial uh, formulation. Mm. This was before the product was out and Tropic Deepa was selling it.
1: And it was still a different formulation with much higher caffeine levels, which... You actually you tried it out one time mm-hmm. with slightly more than a scoop of mm-hmm. the one with a hundred milligrams of caffeine total. Yeah. And that was actually too much.
0: Yeah, I I was trying one of the earlier formulations and there was a little bit extra in the bag and yeah, I thought let's just go for it. But it was uh it was a little bit too much caffeine. Um, So we
1: toned it down to 75 milligrams total. 50 milligrams is coming from caffeine and hydras. And then the other 25 milligrams is coming from the one gram of matcha powder that we have in here.
0: Yes. So this is um, a green matcha powder. And it also has um, a variety of adaptogenic mushrooms in it. And it's tasty. There's also a little bit of sweetness to it. Um, It tastes like matcha. I think the mushrooms bring just a slight, like... Slight earthiness to it when you combine it with milk. Yeah, and umami. When you combine it with milk, it's really, really pleasant, and you hardly taste any of that mushroom flavor at all. But it's quite rich. Um, When you combine it with water, I think you taste just a little bit of the mushroom, but it doesn't taste strange. It's it's quite nice. And there's also something a a quick aside. Um, If you've ever drank green tea before and you wanted to kind of increase or sort of turn up the the volume on the umami flavors of the green tea, we've experimented by adding MSG to green tea, just plain green tea, and it can make all of those flavors, like the toasty, warm flavors, really come out. So I think it's interesting. And
1: just to, yeah. to go in on that a little bit mm-hmm. more, the interesting thing about that, if you take L-theanine powder, mm. and you just taste plain L-theanine it's also umami yes and it's because L-theanine is actually very closely related to GABA and glutamate and that's also part of how it affects our our mental well-being is it upregulates GABAergic activity a little Mm -hmm. bit and it downregulates glutamatergic activity a little bit but it has an umami taste and in very high quality matcha which this is definitely not super high quality matcha this is
0: not ceremonial grade matcha
1: well okay we have to talk about the ceremonial grade thing because... Okay,
0: but, but finish what we were, you were going to say no, before. The no, the ceremonial
1: grade thing is important right, because we've had a lot of people asking, is mm-hmm. it ceremonial grade? In our research, a lot of the team members that didn't know about matcha yet, they're always oh, a ceremonial grade. Ceremonial grade means nothing. It is not a real thing. Oh, You can call any matcha ceremonial grade. There's no uh, certification program that says, for example, you can only make champagne in champagne if it's made out of these grapes. Or it can only be Parmigiano-Reggiano if it's coming from this area and this milk and it's made in this way. There's nothing about that. So there isn't
0: a regulation then? There's no regulation.
1: So basically, if you're looking at other competing products, they will tell you most of the time that it's ceremonial grade matcha. Even though it's probably not even as good as the matcha we're putting in here. Hmm. This is, it's not, when I say it's not high quality matcha, it's not like gourmet level. It's not, you're going to mix it up and you're going to have this flavor explosion. Mm
0: -hmm. If you were to go to a traditional matcha tea ceremony, you would be getting a higher quality of matcha. It's also way more expensive and it's way more fine. So in this case, we have a matcha, which is very tasty. Mm -hmm. It's very functional, especially when you combine it with other ingredients like these mushrooms.
1: And it's not super expensive because if you look at real ceremonial grade, but if you just look at it like high quality coffee or Mm -hmm. like high quality matcha, it's the Mm -hmm. same thing. Like if you call uh, McDonald's coffee or something normal coffee but then you get coffee from your local roastery and you call it ceremonial grade coffee. That'd be strange. Yeah. There's probably some place on earth where they're using it in a coffee in a ceremonial way. But mm-hmm. you're never you're just going to call it high quality coffee. Yeah. And that's the same thing with matcha. There's okay. not really uh, an agreed upon concept of what ceremonial grade is. So I think that's just an important aside. Yeah. Um we've been offered ceremonial grade and we've talked to matcha suppliers about is there anything to the ceremonial grade and they basically said to us it's all bullshit okay you can basically call anything ceremonial grade and we see that with other things in the supplement world too where oh this is pharma grade Mm -hmm. pharma grade also doesn't mean anything everything should be pharma grade if it's not pharma grade well, if it's not pharma grade, you shouldn't be putting it in your body. Yeah. Uh, the whole concept behind pharma grade is that it is basically safe to use. It is what it is and it's of high purity. Yeah. So, we could say that all of our products are pharma grade products technically because they're all of a high purity and we're testing it and it's consistent, so mm-hmm. everything that would be pharma grade. But pharma grade it's just a marketing term. Yeah it it works it, mm-hmm. it gets a lot of people oh yeah I only take pharma grade supplements if you buy from us you're, you're taking pharma grade supplements and it's the same with ceremonial grade it, it's also a bit of like a cultural appropriation thing right where oh, they do ceremonies Ceremonies in Japan with matcha, so, tea. matcha tea. So there must be some sort of spiritual component of it that we can exploit a little bit. So let's start calling it ceremonial grade and people can feel good about themselves that they're... And it works. Or, or it works that in they're a experiencing
0: sense. something which would be similar to the, the real thing. Yeah. Um, of course, I'm not making a tea ceremony with this. I don't know how to do that. Um <laughs>
1: Which, by the way, if you ever get a chance to do a matcha tea ceremony, it's it's fantastic. I would really like to. Uh, I did one one time in Japan. It it was a really amazing experience. And again, if you look on the menu, it's not say ceremonial great matcha. Mm -hmm. You're just paying wads of cash (laughs) for really, (laughs) really good matcha. For yeah. uh,
0: for a, a ceremony
1: and and the really good matcha too. Like if we really start digging into it, the the good stuff and and this is the important thing that I was trying to get to is good matcha. You can basically take any green tea, powderize it, and and it's basically matcha because there's there's some cultivars that are specific to matcha production, but in general that's not happening unless you get into the higher echelon of matcha and it's being shade grown which not all matcha powders on the market and probably not all of the ceremonial grade stuff is being properly shade-grown. But if you go higher and higher in the the matcha world, then it is extensively shade-grown. And when you do that, less of the chlorophyll degrades. So it's really bright green. So if you look at very high-quality matcha versus not very high-quality matcha, you see a definite difference in the vibrancy of the green. But what you also notice is more umami taste mm-hmm. in the higher quality uh, matcha. And you also have this with um, Gyokuru tea, I think, is also just tea leaves that are shade grown. And they have higher levels of L mm-hmm. And because L is umami, higher quality matcha or Gyokuru tea gets more and more umami which is also why we've experimented with both adding l-theanine and msg to tea and it makes a big difference mm-hmm. but all that, that, being that said, babbling uh, it, does,
0: it does relate <laughs> to the the flavor experience of this mm-hmm. uh, powder which is that the mushrooms and the mushroom powder that's in here also adds a little bit of that umami flavor
1: and we actually did a lot of testing with higher end matchas, which would have significantly like maybe even doubled the price Mm -hmm. of this and we kind of just played around with it for fun it's not going to be possible to sell this at maybe double the price Mm -hmm. it's just not going to be worth it because you might as well just be selling straight matcha then so you're not messing up the interesting matcha flavor with mushrooms and we actually Mm -hmm. found that when we went higher and higher if we tasted the matcha pure it was super interesting if we added it to the mushroom magic matcha it became a little bit messy in terms of flavor mm-hmm. the the flavors of the mushrooms were not cooperating with the flavors of the matcha because the matcha was pulling a lot of attention to itself it didn't really result in anything nice so but the matcha that's in here actually is organic matcha it's high quality it tastes pleasant and it tastes like nice and neutral and it blends mm-hmm. well with the the effects or the the taste of the mushrooms yes but more importantly is that it contains quite a bit of polyphenols and it's being standardized for that and we are testing the caffeine concentration so we can actually use that caffeine concentration and then adjust our caffeine anhydrous amount to then get it up to 75 milligrams so i i think that's that's really nice yeah and just to the the actual mushrooms that are in here We made a blend and we played around with this a lot too. We wanted to put poria mushroom in there and we also talked about this earlier with licorice. Licorice is often being combined with poria mushroom for some reason. Um, And we find that poria mushroom has a really interesting mood boosting effect. And this is partially our fault that we don't really talk about poria mushroom enough, but it's one of the least popular mushrooms around. Just generally in the whole mushroom um, world you don't see much talk about poria there's not a lot of poria products out there there is now a guy in the u.s which if you're interested in mushroom cultivation go follow terrestrial fungi uh, he does a lot of cultures and uh, especially for cordyceps and rishi and he recently started growing poria and like tiger milk mushroom which is also in here it's a sclerotium okay so we have two sclerotium products which you hardly ever see sclerotian products. Mm-hmm. You hardly ever see tiger milk mushroom and poria mushroom, but we decided to put them both in here. One, because poria has really interesting mood benefits, which Erica can attest to later. And tiger milk mushroom, which I find has very interesting focus-enhancing effects. And then we rounded it out with two more normalish mushrooms, cordyceps and lion's mane. Yes. But really high-quality fruiting body whole fruiting body so none of these are extracts which i also find interesting so it's all full spectrum mm-hmm. but they've all been tested properly it's all fruiting body there's no mycelium on grain which with a lot of the competing products out on the market you'll just see mycelium on grain being put in there it's usually being hidden behind a, um, a proprietary blend so you can't actually see how much it is and oftentimes there's actually not that many mushrooms in there mm-hmm. here we're putting in not for the tiger milk the tiger milk is not a total full dose it's a little bit less Mm -hmm. and we actually found that with the lesser dose it worked really nicely and putting in the double dose didn't make enough of a difference to justify the cost of adding more tiger milk in there so that 150 milligram dose was a really nice complement to everything else in there Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but other than the tiger milk everything is at just a full dose that you would get with our so you're getting three mushrooms at a full dose and Mm -hmm. one mushroom at a half dose and you usually don't find that either like maybe there's a gram total of mushrooms being put in there here you have just maybe even less than a gram total but Mm -hmm. here you actually have full doses of each which i think really adds to the the overall effects profile Mm -hmm. and then some caffeine and hydras so it's it's pretty simple Mm -hmm. matcha which has effects you have things like egcg in there epicatechin in there which can have beneficial effects you have some naturally derived caffeine um and then you have the effects from the mushrooms and the effects from the caffeine and it's all coming together very nicely and it works well for me but you've really been having some like mind-blowing results with it uh.
0: yes yes um i'm very excited (laughs) to tell you about (laughs) it uh the first time i took this version of the mushroom magic matcha I felt really calm quite quickly. I made it in a warm tea. Um, I felt focused. It definitely has a physical relaxing effect for me, but it also has a very, very powerful um, emotional effect. Um, Depending on the kind of stressors in my life, sometimes I find that I cry easily. And sometimes this is when I listen to a really beautiful song, or if I read a really sweet message from a friend or I'm riding my bike and looking at the sky. <laughs> it, it could happen in a in a quiet moment of awe and wonder. And sometimes that kind of moment triggers this feeling that I want to cry. It makes me cry, like happy tears. Um, but I don't always feel like that's the appropriate. It's not al- always comfortable. Sometimes it can be distracting. And when I took this this matcha, I found that this kind of um unwieldy response, this unwieldy emotional response to like beautiful good things was kind of put into this container where I could feel this this warmth or I could experience this music or I could um like go through my day or my activity and not feel that I went over a certain threshold emotionally. And I haven't experienced this kind of emotional effect from any other supplement before. This is the first product that I've tried, which really feels that it kind of, it's like a warm hug, but it also holds things in, in a good way. um, In a way that makes it possible to, like, experience emotions and experience a good mood without it getting into this, like, um, uncontrollable territory. And I found that really fascinating. Um, Another thing I found really fascinating is that I've been drinking this matcha when I practice um, at my studio space. And the first time I tried this matcha when I was practicing, um, I felt really physically relaxed. I definitely felt that I could focus on my practice. But I also started to feel as I got more warmed up and into my practice session that I could play all of the things that were in my mind... In a way that felt so natural and so fluid, and I wasn't making mistakes. I was trying new things. I was taking more risks, and I was basically sticking my landings with all of these new kind of techniques that I was practicing, and that was an amazing experience. Because sometimes I find that my focus gets interrupted when I start to cr- overly critique myself, or I react to you know a note being not perfectly in tune, um, but something in this matcha something in this this effects profile allowed me to push beyond just exercises that i had done previously to try something new and then it actually felt good and i was able to play really confidently and consistently which um yeah it feels like kind of like a secret weapon now so if anyone is curious about trying the mushroom magic matcha if you have tried it before um definitely give it a go it's really special and and emil has had some good effects from it Mm -hmm. for me it's something that
1: it's it's not as pronounced for me by the way it's for me it's a a nice boost it feels more potent than i would imagine 75 milligrams of caffeine to feel because when we first started beta testing it and we were thinking do we even add caffeine I, i i was immediately saying we should because A lot of these alternatives on the market they say oh it contains a quarter the amount of a cup of coffee who who really wants that if you're going for a caffeinated beverage Mm -hmm. maybe we'll come out with a completely non-caffeinated one at some point but having these really amount low amounts of caffeine
2: eh? i don't
1: think it's that interesting so actually going a bit more functional Mm -hmm. 75 milligrams seemed a little bit low I suggested 100 milligrams when we were beta testing 100 milligrams 100 milligrams felt surprisingly strong in the context of these mushrooms so when we dialed it back the effects are really nice so Mm -hmm. it's good for me because usually i'll have a cup of coffee in the afternoon if i'm feeling low energy but that can sometimes overstimulate me Mm because i don't have a very i can handle a lot of caffeine without issues but i don't enjoy high amounts of caffeine Mm -hmm. so Usually, I drink one cup of coffee in the afternoon or one cup of coffee in the morning, sometimes in the afternoon, but I prefer to have something else. And Mushroom Magic Matcha is one of those interesting products now that I'm... Not every afternoon, but Mm -hmm. sometimes take a little dose of that. It's a smoother way to enhance my energy, and I feel like it lasts a little bit longer, and Mm -hmm. it's better at dialing in my focus. Sometimes I'll drink a cup of coffee in the afternoon... I feel a little bit overstimulated and then get distracted when I take mushroom magic matcha it's easier for me to focus so for me maybe the effects don't sound as pronounced and exciting mm. as they do for Erica but it's super functional yeah. and one thing I really like about it is that you are getting those full doses of mushrooms so especially now that the weather is getting colder and you go everywhere and everyone's coughing and sniffling. It's nice to have that immune boosting potential of those mushrooms in there. So I think it's a really interesting product for that. And For sure. Especially one of our first products where we thought, okay, now we can come out with a scoop, which again, we're not fans of scoops usually because most of our products have very low dosages in powders. You just can't accurately measure that mm-hmm. consistently with a scoop in our opinion. But something like this, we calibrated the scoop, we made sure that it fit in there. It's a high dose, so if you're 50 milligrams over or under, it's not a huge deal. Mm-hmm. If you're 50 milligrams over or under with isoliquid degenin, though...
0: You're going to notice it.
1: That's not good. So yeah. for that kind of stuff, use the scale. For here, we have a scoop, so that's yeah, really nice.
0: For the first time.
1: And again, you can still use a scale with Mm -hmm. this and and really calibrate your dose. So you could say, okay, I want a double scoop, get 150 milligrams of caffeine in, which I've done multiple times. And Mm -hmm. I really like that as like a a more of a pre-workout type of thing. Or you can say, I actually want it right at about 100 milligrams of caffeine. And then you do what, like uh, one and a quarter-ish scoop. Yeah. Um, So you can play around with it if you have a scale. But if you're just out and about... Toss one in your bag. You have one at your studio, yeah, and we have, have one at home. <laughs>
0: I have two. I have two jars um, because it's something that I don't, I don't want to miss, um, especially for the kind of really focused and intense, like creative and physical work that goes into practicing and making music. So that's one of the new products that came out since our last podcast episode: the Matcha Magic Matcha.
1: We're also working on another one, which will be more in the coffee realm. So.
0: Stay tuned for that. Stay
1: tuned for that. Yes, I'm personally more excited about that one mm-hmm. because it's going to be a bit more stimulating. Uh, which I might regret saying that <laughs> once we we try it because I do really love the effects of the mushroom magic magic because yeah. it is smoother. Yeah. But sometimes, and actually, this is kind of interesting. In the winter, I actually like to to keep it a bit more chill on the caffeine. Mm. But in the summer, I like to pound the caffeine because yeah. I'm. Maybe it's, like, the diuretic effect or something like that. I feel like it keeps me a little bit more cool, perhaps.
0: (laughs) Could be, for sure. You're also just a coffee fiend, so I can understand that you're excited for this uh, thing that's coming in the future. Yes. Okay, so now let's talk about the other exciting new product that came out since our last podcast episode. And this one is truly exciting. And, um, yeah, we also have some fun anecdotes to share about this. And it is the Full Spectrum Kana
1: tablets. Yeah. This is... I think you're probably the most excited about the Mushroom Magic matcha release. Yes. Yeah. I'm definitely the most excited about the um, uh, Kana release. Mm-hmm. And these are nice little rattly capsules. So, because we're still recording in stereo... Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> Feel the Kana. Taste the Kana.
1: There. <laughs> so, we we tested a lot of kana uh, and we'll do a whole separate uh, podcast and blog about kana actually <laughs> i already did a blog about kana that's up go read it yes but uh, i think we, the podcast would be really good we'll do a podcast about yeah. it because there's a lot to talk about but it took us a really long time we carried kana in the past zembrin and we kind of just we didn't like zembrin um, it's zembrins a very weak extract uh, I think they did a lot of important things for the Kana world because they did a lot of research, they figured out how to standardize things, they, they used different cultivars that are conducive to having slightly higher Mizembrian levels. So there is some really interesting stuff going on with Zembrin, but it clumped up really badly, it was really expensive, um, none of our customers were super huge fans of it either, so at a certain point we just phased Zembrin out. And then we wanted to do canna, but canna is actually really hard to source. So we talked about this with Lucas as well on our previous episode. Mm -hmm. Sourcing anything from the African continent is hard. And with something like canna, it's really hard because it's a difficult plant to grow. It's a different cold plant to process. Um, But for the last like 10 months or so, we tried, I think, like almost 10, maybe even more than 10 different extracts. We tried, we kept trying them, and, and during this time I also had a very high dose of canon, which we also talked about with Lucas, so I won't reiterate that here. And most of them were kind of a let them. and then there was one bag that I hadn't tried, and I kind of got stuck uh, behind some other samples, and for some reason Paul hadn't tried it either, and I thought, oh, I grabbed this sample, I thought, oh, I'll try this one. I'll try a slightly higher dose of it. <laughs> uh because i just haven't been that impressed and i i just i had to sit down uh i think i tried 100 milligrams sublingually and it hit me so hard and i looked in the mirror and my pupils were dilated and i thought whoa, this is this is different uh and i i just to rule out if it if it was me having some kind of freak reaction i asked paul if he wanted to try it and he did and he said the same thing like this is super intense, I, I had to sit down for a sec. Uh, because we had tried all of these somewhat more lackluster extracts. Once they're really high in mesembrian, which those high mesembrian extracts, a lot of people will claim mesembrian is the only alkaloid you want, and mesembrian is going to give you that uplifted stimulating effect, which is definitely true, but it kind of only gives you that, and it can feel cold and clinical, And I don't like that with Kana. When I tried Kana many, many years ago, I was trying a a more full-spectrum Kana and it had this physically relaxing but mentally stimulating effect. And I wanted to get back to that. And this extract does that. So I was really stoked to find this one. And it's a bit more full-spectrum and it has higher levels of delta-7 mesembernon. And I think that's kind of important for our effects profile. So I really love it Uh, and it's strong but we decided to go with a 50 milligram tablet that you could dissolve in your mouth because when you use it sublingually, it has the strongest effect and it, it can kick in in as little as like five minutes. You can really start feeling something and at 50 milligrams, it's pretty intense, but we have a lot of customers who sometimes like we'll bring out something like Tribugen and i will say, this isn't shit. I I don't feel anything from it I want it even stronger well we released Tribulus which we thought was really strong people wanted it even stronger we made Tribugen which we thought was crazy strong and some people still don't think it's strong enough Maniacs Uh, (laughs) Maniacs we made Dynamax which we thought was really strong and then we have a bunch of people saying "Ah, it's not really strong enough so we came out with Dynamax Plus, which is really like almost irresponsibly <laughs> strong in my opinion. But it works really well. I like that one uh, a lot. But because of that, and we have a big customer base who wants really pronounced effects, we decided, OK, we'll go with that 50 milligram dose. There's almost no way you can take the canna and not notice anything. Um, how I like using it, though, and we could have also done 25 milligram tablets, uh, but then you have to spend more money on making more tablets for the same amount of doses, and the tablets are bigger, and you actually want something a little bit smaller to dissolve under your tongue or in your mouth, so being able to snap the tablets in half is really nice. So these are scored, and the way I like using them is 25 milligrams. let it dissolve have the effects kicking and then about 30 minutes later when the effects of that first tablet are almost at the peak effects, then I take the other 25 milligram tablet and then that adds to it and it extends the effects profile. And I find that the that effects profile sit, setting in at 25 milligrams and mm-hmm. then another 25 milligrams is smoother, less jarring, more mood boosting, longer lasting.
0: Compared to taking the whole tablet at once.
1: Compared to taking the whole tablet at once. Okay. So I like using it like that i use it multiple times a week not every day but especially when i'm doing some research and i'm a little bit mentally tired or i'm i'm just not that interested in doing it Kana is a great one especially at that 25 milligram dose to kind of get a a motivating mood boost Uh, Mm -hmm. the other day i took it when i was doing some cleaning some vacuuming i really didn't feel like doing it took a 25 milligram tablet and 10 minutes later i was jamming out with some music on vacuuming the floor so it's great good for motivation yeah. especially because it kicks in so quickly but also for mood and for music appreciation so for sure recently we went to a, a local club here in town and uh, went to was some really intense electronic music and I snuck some of those tablets in, which you're allowed to do then, but it just looks sketchy. It does. It looks sketchy. It, it looks like you're bringing in hard drugs because they're mm-hmm. pressed tablets, so it probably looks like ecstasy or something like that, which it's not. But you kind of have to be careful with that. Yeah. Uh, I wish I could just bring in this bottle, but I'm sure if they open that up and they look in it, they'll think I'm a, a mass drug dealer. Yeah. Perhaps
0: the, <laughs> perhaps the security at the clubs aren't so familiar with Kana. No. Anywho
1: but we every half hour 45 minutes or so mm-hmm. we took a half tablet mm-hmm. and it really had a nice effect on physical energy and mental um endurance and mm-hmm. just overall like the enjoyment of the music was enhanced and yeah i never felt tired even when it was 6 a.m uh, yeah I it was, was a late one yeah it was late
0: i found it so awesome To take the kana and then dance. I mean, I don't think I danced like that in quite some time. (laughs) I was sweating. It was really, really fun. And um, it also made it a little bit more relaxing to be in a big crowd of people. Um, I think it's possible that it also changes my perception of music or maybe makes me a little bit more sensitive to sound. Uh, But we always wear hearing protection when we Mm -hmm. go out and see like heavy music, especially electronic music, because... Oftentimes it's just way too loud and you're going to get hearing damage. But um, I found that I could handle the intensity of the environment and I could really enjoy myself. And it kept my energy levels up. Um, It was really, really cool to take the kana in that environment. Um, And yeah, being able to just dance and feel relaxed and to have all of that energy through your entire body was a really interesting
1: experience. So
0: this is a super fun one.
1: And I'm sure it would actually stack quite well with the Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. So, we have the mushroom magic matcha, we have the kana. Um, we talked really at length about isoliquidigenin and all of its beneficial effects for mood. And we also had such a fun time eating those candies then... and telling you about the history of licorice, especially in the Netherlands, and um, you know, licorice extracts that turned into this kind of soothing but also comforting candy that's used all around the world um we didn't go so much into the traditional uses um, from Chinese practices but the way that a lot of people know licorice is by candy and so we're just reaching a little bit further back but also locally to talk about how it was made in Italy and how we're eating it now in the Netherlands Mm -hmm. and
1: and and that's I think this is a kind of a funny story yeah that's a lot of licorice products that I bought right Mm -hmm. like just hands full and yes. i bought it at one shop mm-hmm. just down the street from us so mm-hmm. I, I didn't have to go and google crazy stuff and order something online it's just really easy mm-hmm. get my licorice but i was kind of nervous going up to the canter but Dutch people love to kind of jab fun jokes at you, like, oh, what you're going to do with all that licorice kind of feeling. So I was going to, I had this whole story in my mind, like, oh, I'm doing a podcast about the history of (laughs) of licorice and stuff like that. But I didn't totally feel like having that conversation. So I was a bit nervous that the the cashier was going to say something. And I didn't it's like the most normal thing ever to buy how many varieties <laughs> like six varieties of licorice <laughs> to me that's a ridiculous one variety and amount of licorice like yeah. no one has any business buying that amount of licorice all at once yeah uh unless you have a huge family of uh, or you're um, having a big party or, or a big well, <laughs> yeah. who's, who's having licorice at their party but
0: i mean <laughs> why wouldn't you have licorice at your party right
1: yeah that's true yeah uh but th- i i thought it was kind of funny that yeah. you can just it's so normal and people eat so much licorice and i always remember my grandpa had a, a jar of licorice and he would always you were allowed to have two he was definitely having more than two but every day he ate two pieces of licorice and it was a tradition and till the day he died he had severe parkinson's and everything like that and sometimes really lost the plot a little bit with all of the medication but there was one constant and it was that licorice Till when he was 93 years old every single day out of that same tin (laughs) that he'd probably had for like 60 years so it's an important part of dutch culture for sure yeah Uh, and i think it's interesting that we can share that especially being in the netherlands and having such easy access to all of these licorice products Mm -hmm. and now isoliquid to which is definitely something that I take every once in a while and and maybe it would be interesting to play around with it in a in a stack for longer term yeah Uh, I just haven't figured out how exactly it slots into our stack yet Mm -hmm.
0: so we hope you try Isoliquidogenin. we hope that you have uh, good effects from it but regardless of what the experience is like for you we always want to hear about it and we also want to hear um, your thoughts about the podcast and we also want to hear about your thoughts about future podcasts or other products that you want us to talk about. So please interact with us on YouTube and on Spotify and on Reddit. Our subreddit is r slash depot. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sticking with us and for supporting the In Search of Insight podcast. You can find all of the links to the products that we discussed today, as well as the podcast chapters in the description and we're going to have another wonderful and fun and cozy episode coming for you next month talking about botanicals and supplements, so please stick around and share the podcast with your friends. Until next time, that's it for today. We'll say bye-bye. Bye! Bye.